Well, this is week three in our series on relationships. And though it might not be the most exciting series that I've ever preached, I do believe it's the most important series that I've ever preached. And the reason I say that is because the most important thing in life is relationships. Relationships are more important than money. Relationships are even more important than personal happiness. I know that that's hard for some of you to understand that because we live in America. And in America, we think that we're entitled to happiness. If you're not happy, then you have every right to just ditch everyone else and be happy. But the truth of the matter is, relationships are even more important than personal happiness. Listen to me. Relationships are more important than anything. And if you don't get that, bless your heart, you don't understand what life is all about. Life is all about relationships. Look at the last part of Luke chapter 12, verse number 15. It says, life is not measured by how much you own. Oh my gosh, that's just a slap in the face to Americans, isn't it? Life is not measured by how much you own. Well, if life's not measured by how much you own, what is it measured by? Well, I'm glad you asked. Life is measured by the quality of your relationships. It's measured by the quality of your relationship with God. It's measured by the quality of your relationship with your spouse. It's measured by the quality of your relationship with your children, with your friends, with your co-workers, with everyone living in our community. That's why the most important thing in life is relationships. Now, for the last two weeks, we've been talking about the two most important commandments in the Bible. According to Jesus, out of the 613 commandments in the law of Moses, the two most important are this, are these. To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The first one deals with your relationship with God. The second one deals with your relationship with people. Now, Jesus said that all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The word hang is translated from the Greek word kremenumi, which means to hang on something or to suspend on something. Now, we know that if we hang something upon a hook or a peg, that whatever you're hanging on that hook or peg is going to fall underneath it. That's because of gravity. Does that make sense? So basically, this is a figure of speech. It means that every other commandment falls under one of these two commandments. In other words, every other commandment can be categorized under one of these two commandments. It either falls under loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or it falls under loving your neighbor as yourself. That's how important these two commandments are. And that's why it's such a shock when Jesus gives us a new commandment. Now, wait a minute. We already have a commandment that deals with our relationship with God. We already have a commandment that deals with our relationship with other people. Why does Jesus have to give us a new commandment? But Jesus does. Jesus raises the bar. He takes it a step further, and he gives us a new commandment. Turn to the book of John, the 13th chapter, verse number 34. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Wow. Before Jesus gave this new commandment, we were supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. But now, we're supposed to love others as Christ loved us. And people, there is a big difference between the two. And let me explain why I say that. 
I'm pretty self-sufficient. I'm not what most people would consider to be a needy person. I don't need a lot of help from others. I don't need a lot of encouragement. I'm not easily offended. In fact, if you want to offend me, you need to tell me. I'm trying to offend you, Pastor Allen, because I don't take it that way. I can remember when I'd really gained a lot of weight, I was standing in Walmart in a line, and one of the girls looked up and said, Boy, he's fat. And I just laughed. I thought it was funny. I thought, you know, how innocent children are. But the truth of the matter is, I was fat. So, you know, I'm not easily offended. I'm not overly sensitive. If you get to talking about me and you tell someone that Pastor Allen is bald, I'm not going to get offended. I'm not sensitive about that. If I went to the hospital... I wouldn't expect people to come see me. If I go to the hospital, I don't expect any one of you to come see me with the exception of my wife and maybe my children. If someone dies in my family, I don't expect any of you to go to the funeral. In fact, Lisa and I got to laughing one day because she's never been to a funeral on my side of the family. And I don't expect her to. She's never been to my grandparents. She never went to one of my grandparents' funerals. She never went to any of my uncles or my aunts or my cousins. Have you been to any funeral on it? She says, yeah, I've been to one. One? Yeah. But, you know, we don't expect that. I didn't expect that. But here's my point. For me, loving my neighbor as myself really isn't that tough. Because since I don't expect a lot, I don't have to give a lot. Remember, I am to love others as myself. And since I don't expect a lot from others, I don't have to give a lot to others. And I'm still fulfilling the second most important commandment. To love others even as myself. Do you catch what I'm saying? To love others the way I want to be loved. Does that make sense? And then Jesus has to come along and he has to give us a new commandment. And I have to be honest, inside of me I'm thinking, crap. Now it's no longer good enough to love others as myself. Now I'm supposed to love others as Christ loved us. And in my case, that raises the bar big time. Now, if you're a needy person, you don't understand what I'm talking about. But if you're not a needy person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't expect people to visit you in the hospital, then you don't have to go to the hospital to visit others. If you don't expect people who aren't family to come to a funeral for someone in your family, then you don't have to go to funerals of people who aren't family. And you're still fulfilling the second most important commandment in the Bible. You're loving others as yourself. In essence, you're using yourself as the standard of how to love others. And we do that naturally. You know, it's kind of interesting, but I would probably never go to a wedding unless I was doing it. And the reason why is I don't expect people to do that. You know, when I first got into the ministry, my wife had to say, you need to do this or you need to do that. And I would say, well, why? Those people don't expect that. She said, honey, you need to understand something. You don't expect it, but they do. And I was like, you're kidding. People expect me to do this or that. Well, I wouldn't expect. She said, honey, you're different. But you see, I was using myself as the standard for how to love others. And we do that naturally. But then Jesus comes along with this new commandment. Now we're supposed to love others as Christ loved us. Now we have to use Jesus as the standard for how we love others and not ourselves. Can you see what I'm talking about? 
Now, if you are a very needy person, you're going, I can't believe Pastor Allen's like this. But if you're not a needy person, you're going, just like I did, oh crap. You're kidding. Jesus gave us a new commandment all this time. I was getting out of going to the hospital. I was getting out of going to these funerals or going to these weddings or doing this or that because I didn't expect it from anyone else. Therefore, I didn't have to give it. And then Jesus comes along with this new commandment. You are to love others even as I have loved you. People, there's a big difference between loving our neighbor as ourselves and loving our neighbor as Christ loves, uh, loved us. Big difference, especially for those of us who aren't very needy. Now, if you're needy, how do you know? Well, you just, got, you just became offended that I was talking about being needy. Are you saying that I'm needy? And you're very sensitive, see? You're needy. I forget this wouldn't offend me, but it offends you. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. All right? Now, this is where it gets tough. Because in order for us to love others as Christ loved us, we have to do four things. Number one, we've got to fellowship with people we normally wouldn't hang out with. <laughs> we've got to forgive people regardless of whether we want to or not. Number three, we've got to accept people for who they are. And number four, we've got to make personal sacrifices for the good of others. Now this morning I want to look at each one of those things individually. And let's start with the first one. To love others as Christ loved us, we've got to fellowship with people we normally wouldn't hang out with. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, the ninth chapter, verses 10 through 13. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. You know what I find really interesting about this passage of Scripture? Jesus didn't try to defend the people that he was hanging out with. When the Pharisees called them scum, Jesus didn't say, Now wait a minute, wait a minute. How dare you refer to these people as scum? They're not scum. Did you notice Jesus didn't do that? Do you want to know why he didn't do that? It's because the people he was hanging out with were scum. Yeah. Hey, most of the people that he was hanging out with at this particular situation or this particular time, they work for the Roman IRS and people that doesn't get any scummier than that. If you've owned your own personal business or, or, or maybe you have to because of... Uh, uh, the type of work that you do, you have to pay your own taxes. They don't take it out of your paycheck every week. You know how, many, how much taxes that you pay. People, we pay way too much in taxes. And the only ones who don't believe that are those who are receiving entitlements. I can remember this last year. Uh, my daughter called me and said, Daddy, you won't believe it. We're getting back $2,000 on our taxes. I said, honey, you just need to understand something. They're not giving you a penny. That's what you earn. 
And you need to remember that. Now, do I mind paying taxes? I don't mind paying taxes to support our schools for the infrastructure and for our military. Those are things that we need to pay taxes for. But let me tell you something. We have so many entitlement programs that are contrary to what the Word of God says. And I understand how the Jews felt. And when they said publicans, it's interesting. They never included publicans with sinners. It was always publicans and sinners. They were their own class in and of itself. And so when Jesus calls Matthew, who was a publican, a sinner, worse than sinners, someone who is supporting the Roman government, someone who has come in and conquered Israel and now is controlling them, and he's supporting the government, and now he invites Jesus and the disciples to his house, and he invites all these other tax collectors, and of course Jesus looks at this, he says, you call them scum? Well, I'd have to agree with you. Many of the people that were there were prostitutes. So Jesus didn't try to defend those he was hanging out with. Instead, he explained why he was hanging out with them. Look at verse number 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, don't you dare call these people that. No, 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 no. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now, I kind of find this funny because, you know, Jesus is saying, I'm hanging out with sick people. They're really sick. Do you know what he was saying? I'm hanging out with people who need help because I'm here to help them. So, if you're truly going to love others the way that Christ loved, you're going to have to fellowship with people that you normally wouldn't hang out with. In fact, people, that's what the church is all about. Bringing people in from all walks of life to fellowship with God in each other through Jesus Christ. Turn to the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse number 7. Notice what it says. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. Now, let's explain what this word fellowship means. It means that you are hanging out with people. It means that you are spending time with people. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you see what that's saying? It's saying that Jesus is the common bond between all Christians regardless of what social circle you're in. And that's what I appreciate about our church. We attract all types of people, but we all have a common bond. And that common bond is Jesus Christ. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what social circle you're in. If you come here to worship Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the common bond that we have. It doesn't matter where I travel in the world. It doesn't matter what the customs or habits of those people are. If they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we have a common bond and that common bond is Jesus. If they have not accepted Jesus Christ, the common bond is they need Jesus. Therefore, I'm there to fellowship with them. That is the attitude that we have to have because that's the attitude that Jesus had. You know, I'll be honest with you. We've had people leave our church because we don't refer to this place inside of here as the sanctuary. We refer to it as the auditorium. Do you know why we refer to it as the auditorium? Because the majority of people who've never grown up in church don't even know what a sanctuary is. But they went to school and they know what the auditorium is. We are here to make people feel comfortable because we have a desire for them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want them to have that same common bond that we all have, which is Jesus Christ. Secondly, 
If we're going to love others as Christ loved us, we've got to forgive people regardless of whether we want to or not. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32. Now, I'm going to step on some toes here. I want you to understand. I'm going to step on your toes. But I have to. Because this is a new commandment. This is a new commandment that Jesus gave after he's already told us what the two most important commandments are. To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you would think that that covered everything, but Jesus said, no, the reason God didn't give you the commandment I'm giving you is because I wasn't here to set the example. Now that I'm here to set the example, let me just tell you what I expect. I expect you to love others the way I've loved you. So God expects us to forgive whether we want to or not. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as God forgave you through Christ Jesus. Now, because most of you cannot read New Testament Greek, let me just tell you, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. If you could read Koine Greek, you would know that this is written in the imperative mood. The imperative mood means that it's a command. So Jesus is not suggesting these things. And when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and he told us forgiving others, he wasn't suggesting that we be compassionate and kind. He wasn't suggesting that we forgive others. He was commanding us to do that. You see, when we get angry at someone, God expects us to get over it. I don't know how to put that except to simply say, God expects you to get over it. In other words, you're not supposed to hold a grudge. Let me show you something interesting. Turn back to the book of Leviticus, the 19th chapter, verse number 18. Remember when the lawyer asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He was quoting out of the book of Deuteronomy. When he said, the second is likened to the first. To love your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting from Leviticus 19.18. Let's read Leviticus 19.18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice this. Let's put some force behind it. I am the Lord. I'm the one telling you to do this. Now I want you to underline the word grudge. Grudge is translated from the Hebrew word natar, and it means to remain angry. And that's exactly what a grudge is. It's when you remain angry at someone, and you can't get over it. You're holding a grudge. So when someone hurts you, you're not supposed to hold a grudge. You're supposed to get over it and forgive. Now, if you don't, you are violating the second most important commandment, In the Bible, when you hold a grudge, you are violating, literally, the second most important commandment. You are remaining angry. You're wanting revenge and you're holding a grudge. Wow. Now, one of the reasons that God wants us to forgive... One of the reasons that God wants us to get over it is because if you continue to hold a grudge against someone, it'll hurt you in the long run. Why? Because it will make you bitter. You see, bitterness is unresolved anger. In other words, bitterness comes from remaining angry. It comes from holding a grudge. And people, listen to me. Bitterness is a poison. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 15. Notice what it says. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. 
that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble, and by it many are defiled. Now, how does bitterness, how does a root of bitterness spring up? A root of bitterness springs up when we remain angry, when we hold a grudge against a person. Now, when you let bitterness take root inside of you, it causes all types of problems. It makes you angry at everyone, not just the person who hurts you. Have you ever noticed a bitter person? They're making everyone around them pay for what someone else has done. That's what happens when you become a bitter old woman or a bitter old man or a bitter young man or a bitter young woman. You make everyone else pay for what someone else has done. It also produces hate, which will eat you up. It's like a cancer. It produces paranoia. Now that this person has hurt you, well, everyone else is out to hurt you. And so whatever happens, you're hurt, you're offended. And as a result of that, boy, you are so sensitive. No one can say anything to you. If someone comes up to you and says, boy, you look good today, the first thing you think is, did I not look good yesterday? Is that what you're saying? Now, why are you that way? Because bitterness produces paranoia. These people who I loved and trusted, they hurt me. And because you couldn't get over it, this bitterness springs up as unresolved anger, but it makes you paranoid. Everyone else is out to get you. No one else likes you. Everyone will turn on you. And we see that all the time. Some of you who were, as children, hurt, and you grew up in abusive homes, you grow up and you're this way. You're paranoid just because of bitterness. And not only does it make you paranoid, it creates depression. That's why bitterness is considered to be a poison. It literally poisons your life. And let me just tell you this. If you're holding a grudge against someone, maybe you've been able to keep the bitterness down, but it's still there, and it is producing. Maybe not full-blown fruit like this, but it is producing these type of symptoms in your life. I see it in so many of you. So for your own good, you're supposed to forgive just as God forgave you through Jesus Christ. Now remember... It is a command, it's not a suggestion. So I want you to know this morning, I have preached the word of God. If you are angry at someone, listen closely to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Get over it! Get over it! Just let it go! Do you know what the word forgive means? The word forgive actually comes from the Greek word which is a compound word, but it literally means to send away. It means that you won't allow it to stay. Did you know that? Forgiveness means you won't allow that offense to stay. It means you won't allow that anger to stay. It means you won't allow that offense to stay. You're sending it away. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. I'm going to forgive. It's not good. It's out of here. Well, I don't feel that way. Well, let me tell you, you have to act that way, and feelings follow actions. That's why you're commanded to forgive. He doesn't command you to feel right. He commands you to do these things. And if you'll do these things, these feelings will follow your actions. That's good preaching, Pastor Allen. Thirdly, if we're going to love others as Christ loved us, we've got to accept people for who they are. Turn to the book of Romans, the 15th chapter, verse number 7. As you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background information. 
This is after, of course, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's now ascended, and now we've got Paul who's going to the Gentile nations. So you've got Jews that have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and you've got Gentiles, pagans, who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And guess what? Their culture, their customs, their habits are totally different. And now all of a sudden, the apostles are trying to form this church with Gentiles and Jews coming to the same place. Oh my gosh. It's kind of like what's happening today. The Jews didn't allow any tattoos because it was forbidden in the Old Testament. A lot of these pagans had tattoos. The Jews didn't allow these piercings. You weren't supposed to cut your body and to do these things. A lot of these people came and they were pierced anywhere and everywhere you can imagine. Even places where the sun doesn't shine. And these people were coming in. And they were pagan. But they had a common bond, which was Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes to the Romans, and notice what he says. Therefore, accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Now, people, why is this so important? Because I put this as the four things that you're supposed to do if you love others as Christ loves you. Why is it so important to accept others as Christ has accepted us? Well, it's important because if we're not careful, our differences will tear us apart. You see, it's human nature to reject those who don't think the way that we think. Who don't see things the way that we see things. Who don't like what we like or they don't feel what we feel. And what happens if we're not careful is that we allow our differences to actually polarize us. I'll be honest with you. I know a couple that's mad at me because I see things differently than they do. And, if, and instead of agreeing to disagree, they got upset that I see things differently. And now they refuse to have a relationship with me. Now, there's probably more couples like that. The difference is I'm so insensitive and that I probably have people. In fact, I know this. I'll go up and say hi to people and shake their hands and just love them. A lot of people left our church. It's kind of interesting. I, I don't have any animosity towards them. In fact, I can remember one time I took a person out to eat, and I knew that they were upset with me. They told everyone they were upset with me. And, you know, I went out, and I said, I, I don't know what I've done to offend you. I'm here to listen. You just tell me. And basically, it was the way that I was running the church. And I said, I, I just want you to understand something. This is what God has called me to do. And I said, you know what? I'd rather keep you as a friend than keep you in our church. If this is going to bother you so much, what I would rather have is for you to leave our church and us still remain friends. And, you know, I, I think they took that, that I, I wasn't being sincere and honest. I was asking them to leave, but it wasn't. I just want you to understand something. There are people that get upset with me because I see things differently. I think differently. And as a result of that, they can't agree to disagree, disagree, and they get so mad that they actually divide, separate, and they don't want to have a relationship with me. And I go up, and I see them, I'll talk with them, and then someone said, boy, is something wrong between you? I don't know why. Well, could you not tell the way they were acting? I'd have to think about that. No, not really. I, I didn't notice that. But I want you to understand this specific couple that I'm talking about, they allowed our differences of opinion to create division. 
And now we no longer have a relationship. Why? Because they couldn't accept me for who I am and the way that I think. That's why we're supposed to accept people for who they are. Now, I'm not saying, I want everyone to hear this, I am not saying that we're to accept sinful behavior. That is not what Romans 15, 7 is saying. It is not saying accept people in sinful behavior even as I accepted you. Did God accept us in our sinful behavior? No. God tells us to repent. God convicts us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And he tells us to confess our sins. And he'll forgive us of our sins. But I want you to understand. Romans 15, 7 is not saying that we're supposed to accept sinful behavior. What it's saying is that we're to accept the fact that not everyone's going to be like us. Not everyone is going to see things the way that we see things. Not everyone is going to feel the way that we feel. We understand that our church is not for everyone. I understand that. Let me tell you something. I have not been called to pastor a church where everyone looks the same, acts the same, talks the same. I've not been called to pastor a church where we have to do church like we did it 30 years ago. I've been called to pastor a church that will reach Tahlequah in the community of Cherokee County for Jesus Christ. Which means that everyone is welcome to come in here and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're going out to them. The offertory that we sang, we know that it's our job to have tears for these prodigal children. These prodigal souls. It's our job to reach out to those that are crippled. And we're not talking about physically crippled. We're talking about those who are spiritually crippled by sin. Therefore, we do things differently. It's kind of funny, but I had a person ask me now, Easter's coming, Pastor. Are you going to wear a suit? No, Easter's coming, so I'm purposely not wearing a suit. We're different. Now, I understand that certain people can't they can't take that. So we agree to disagree. They don't come to church here. You know, every once in a while, I'll have someone come to our church and they'll say, Pastor, I love your teaching. If you guys would do this, this, and this, boy, I would love staying here. And I go, well, I got news for you. We're not going to do this, this, and this. So let me recommend another church for you. And you know, they think I'm upset, and I'm not. I'm not. But the thing is, I understand it's okay to see things differently, to feel things differently. People, that's okay. But something is wrong when the church splits over the color of the carpet. Now, I haven't seen that here, thank God. Well, I take that back. I did have one person as we were building this building came to me and said, the sanctuary is ugly. And I looked at it and said, well, you're right. It's not that pretty, is it? But for who we're calling and for what we want to do, number one, we didn't pick the colors out. We actually had a person from California who got in and worked towards. We told him what we were wanting and said, these are the colors that you need to go with. And was it ugly? You bet you it's ugly, but it, it fits what we need to do. But you know what? Because our sanctuary was ugly, they left the church. My. See, it happened all the time. What's the problem? Romans 15, 7. We don't accept others, even as Christ has accepted us. We don't want any of those kids coming in here with funky hairdos and piercings. 
We don't want those kids with tattoos on their bodies. We don't want people coming to our church with shorts on. Let me just tell you guys something about our community. I've literally had pastors come to me from churches, set up an appointment, come to me in private and say, our church is dying. We're basically older people. We can't attract younger people. We're literally dying out. And if it continues, our church will close its doors in the next five years. What can we do? What are you doing? We don't accept sinful behavior. But God told us to accept people for who they are. And then we'll talk about what the Word of God says. And last but not least, to love others as Christ loved us, we've got to make personal sacrifices for the good of others. I want you to turn to 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Do you realize that a person who truly loves someone is willing to make sacrifices for the good of the person that they love? I want you to notice the first part of this verse. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. People, real love makes sacrifices for the person they love. So if we're going to love others, as Christ loved us, we're going to have to make sacrifices from time to time. Now, I doubt very seriously that we're going to have to sacrifice our life for the sake of others. You see, sometimes we go to one extreme. I'm willing to sacrifice my life for others. Well, let's be honest. I don't think any of you here today in America are going to, at this point, have to sacrifice your life for others. But there are other sacrifices that you are going to have to make. What are those sacrifices? Time, money, volunteering. Maybe you have to do something you really don't want to do. Maybe it's the sacrifice that you don't get to hear the type of music you want to hear. Maybe it's that you don't have this that you want to have or that that you want to have. I don't know what it is, but I want you to understand something. If we're truly going to love as Christ loved, we're willing to make sacrifices. Now, I told you right before we started, I was going to step on your toes and offend you, didn't I? I warned you. I gave you every opportunity to get up before I started preaching and leave. And you didn't do it. So let me conclude by reading this passage of Scripture. This is from John, the 15th chapter. I want to read verses 9 through 14 because I want to tell you what Jesus majored on was love. Here's what he says. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and I remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Wow. Here's another place where he said it. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, let me just ask you a quick question. How do you measure spiritual maturity? Do you measure spiritual maturity by how much Bible someone knows? How much scripture they can quote? How long they've been a Christian? 
whether or not they ever miss services. How do you measure spiritual maturity? Well, let me tell you how God measures spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is measured by a person's willingness to do these four things. Willing to fellowship with people they normally wouldn't hang out with. Willing to forgive people regardless of whether they want to or not. Willing to accept people for who they are. Not accept sinful behavior, but accept people for who they are. And willing to make sacrifices for the good of others. Those who are willing to do these four things truly love as Christ loved us. And that is the mark of spiritual maturity. It's not by how much scripture you can quote. It's not how long you've been a Christian. It's can you love as Christ loved? Are you willing to do these four things? Now, if you have a church of people who's willing to do these four things, Satan cannot stop it. 